Who's ever felt distressed when you're conscious of your own wrong or foolish behaviour? Okay. I think today, if, if you could admit that, then this is going to be a really encouraging message. And if, if you don't feel it applies to you, then go sit up the back there where those covers are on because those seats are reserved for the perfect few, okay? Uh, you're, you're allowed to go and uncover and sit up there if you need to. Uh, I'll never forget. I, I think, when I think of shame, one, uh, one episode comes to mind in my own life and it was in my later schooling years. And, uh, and school was very different back then. I keep telling my kids, you don't know how good you got it to have schools with great culture and great teachers. And... But I can remember, I, I was not the, the best student. I wasn't the, certainly some of you teachers here today will be cringing and thinking, oh my goodness, I teach rat bags like you all the time. But uh, I remember uh, early in one particular day, uh, Getting some write-outs. Can any? I don't know whether they still do that, but having to write out so many times, you know, some sort of punishment. I can't even remember what it was, but it was probably you should not talk in class. I don't know what it was, but it was something like that. It was towards the end of my schooling, so it was high school years. And then I had a period later that day and had a particularly harsh teacher that we all knew was, was a harsh sort of a guy, a disciplinarian. And... Um, and he said, right, you can do anything that you want. You can even do hand, uh, homework. The only thing you can't do is write-outs. I didn't have write-outs. I didn't have homework, but I had write-outs. So I proceeded to do the write-outs, as you do. And uh, I'll never forget, I was stuck into these write-outs, and obviously it's very obvious to a teacher that you're doing write-outs, you know. And uh, he called me out from his desk, and he said, are you doing write-outs? I said, no, sir. Are you doing write-outs? No, sir. So then he stood up and he walked down. I was doing write-outs. So he stood me up and he said, you are a liar in front of the whole class. And he dressed me down as a liar, which I was. Uh, But I tell you what, the humiliation of that moment in my life was far worse than the six cuts that followed in the office with the leather strap, like we got them all the time, so that was nothing. But the humiliation of st- being stood up in front of the class and dressed down in that way, I'm, I'm not sure it ever left me till I really met Jesus, but even when I think about it today, my face gets a bit red. And, and I wonder, you know, I, I just wonder, I think probably all of us have those kind of moments, things that if you think about them, you actually turn red even if there's no one in the room, but just thinking about a situation where your foolish behaviour uh, brought something on you or should have brought something on you or maybe fearful that nothing's ever happened about it. The fact is we all struggle with shame. Without doubt, shame clings to us like no other human ailment of the soul. And, uh, and I'm sure we'd all have things that we're less than proud of. In an attempt to, to cope, our society lowers the bar on what's actually shameful. That's what we see. And, and so doing is open floodgates for all kinds of stuff. So now we see things that are, uh, you know, really 
they are still shameful, but are considered not shameful in our society. I don't know about you, but one of, the, one of my pet peeves is when I see stuff like um, you see stickers on the back windows of cars and that, and it's either, it's either got really bad language in it or it's just espousing something that is absolutely deplorable. Have you ever seen those? You know, I, I see them on my morning walks sometimes. I'm walking past and I'm just... It's like if I had a hammer, I would love to just put a hammer right through the back screen, right where that sticker is. Uh, isn't that terrible? That's terrible. But they just... They anger me. And, and society in an attempt to cope with shame and how difficult it is to cope with has actually just tried to lower the bar so nothing is shameful. But, but actually, that is not the way to cope with shame. To try and rationalise or convince yourself that, that certain things are inappropriate is not the way to deal with inappropriate things. You could describe shame, and I'd describe it this way today. Shame is the, the gap between reality and expectations in so many ways. What's expected of us, what we expect of ourselves, and what our reality is. When that gap becomes big, often shame is what fills it. The Bible talks about a thing called sin. We all know that. And the, 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 often we don't really understand the meaning of that word. We, we, are, uh, we think it's a particular behaviour, and it is, but it's more than that. Uh, the Greek word hamartia uh, literally means to fall short of the mark. Uh, the thought of it is of an archer taking aim at a target and the arrow just falling short. So it's not actually hitting anything particular, it's failure to hit something particular. You understand? We tend to think of, of sin and brokenness as poor behaviour, doing the wrong thing, but, but actually it's, it's more than that. It's just simply not hitting the right thing. That's sort of what it is. And, um, and obviously, there's, if you think of that illustration... Sin itself, the Bible word for sin is talking about a gap, to fall short. So my arrow fell short, there's a gap between what I hit and what I was meant to hit. So there's this, this gap and, uh, and we're all familiar with the gap and obviously often shame dwells in the gap. In the London subways, if, and if you've ever been there, they've got signs everywhere in the subway, mind the gap mind the gap down the platform they're embedded on the floor they're on the poles beside you mind the gap because the London, London subways they're not that modern and uh, some of them and there's quite a gap into the train you could actually fall down them unlike many other modern rail systems you might have traveled on mind the gap and uh, and so today I, I want to talk about the gap a little bit I want to talk about grace that fills the gap because to lower the bar is not the answer. But to, to receive grace from God for the shortcoming is actually the answer. Grace fills the gap. We've all got gaps. We all recognise that. But grace fills the gap. God wants to fill it. Uh, and our society is not really familiar with the concept of grace. Uh, doesn't deal well with shame. It's not familiar with the concept of grace. 
at all, which really means unmerited favour amongst other things. It means gift. It means benefit. When you're talking about Bible grace, the Greek word charis, it means gift. It means benefit. It means favour that is literally not deserved. We've sort of turned it into a prayer we say at mealtime. Uh, if, you know, and that's the church. That's what the church has done with it. No wonder society doesn't know what to do with it. Uh, you get pulled up by a policeman and you know you're speeding. Come on, who's ever been there? Yeah. Graham Nindoff should have had his hair in the air, hand in the air straight away. <laughs> Where is he? I saw him before. He's here somewhere. He's over there looking guilty, yeah. And, uh, but I'll tell you what, Graham, you're not expecting the policeman to say, oh, no, Graham, it's all right. You've got a new SS Commodore, I understand. <laughs> Just slow down a bit, mate. You're not expecting that, are you? It's like, so as society, like grace is not something that we see in action a lot in our society or understood by it. Um, but there's a graphic portrayal of grace in the Gospels I want to look at today. One of my favourite Gospel stories of all time, John chapter 8. And uh, it's the woman caught in adultery, which is a perfect portrayal of the grace of God in our lives. It says that dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. So you notice that the scene straight away is very public. This scene that I'm about to speak about, it's very much in the open, people everywhere. And he sat down to teach them. And then the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery And they made her stand before the group. Golly, I know her pain. People without grace often delight in shaming others. It's amazing. They're the the I told you so people of your life. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. And in the law of Moses, so in the law Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say? And they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So it's quite amazing. But they weren't actually even interested in the truth of the situation. They were just using this woman for their own ends. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Don't you love Jesus? Don't you love Jesus? And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked a woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Neither do I condemn you. You know what? He was the only one there that could have. He was without sin. Remember the sinless son of God? He was the only one who actually legally, technically could have, even according to his own word, he was the only one that could have. Neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Now go and leave your life of sin. And, uh, and you know, obviously there's scholarly ways of looking at this passage and, uh, and some of the, the principles are that they were trying to trap Jesus because 
uh, according to the law, if that was the law and he said don't do it, then they would have said, well, he's breaking the law, he's teaching people to break the law, they could have accused him. If he'd said, yeah, go ahead and do it, then they would have said, well, all this love stuff that he stands for is really shallow, look what he had us do to the woman. So that's sort of the, what's rumbling around in the background. But for us, there's, there's to me, several incredible points of understanding grace and maybe looking at the grace of God towards our life in this. The first one was, is that grace was there all along. Grace is already there for her. You know, when we talk about the grace of God and getting forgiveness and sometimes even the way we've preached the gospel, in, in one sense, what we're saying is, if you repent... God will have grace on you. You'll find mercy if... It's like this... It's funny. We talk about unconditional love of God and then we make it conditional. And the fact is, it's true. If you turn your heart to God, you will run headlong into His grace. The only problem is, is that this story is in the gospel. And this woman was not repenting. She was caught in the act. She hadn't got up that morning, felt guilty, and headed down to the temple courts to see Jesus and confess her sin. She was in the middle of it and got dragged out of it against her will, thrown at his feet for judgment. He hadn't even died on the cross yet, shed his blood for the sins of the world. So he's still operating under the old covenant. And there was that much grace in the old covenant that someone who wasn't really even repented could still find forgiveness. And that's something that's sometimes lost on us. And I think the way that, can I, if I could put us this way, the evangelical Pentecostal church has presented the gospel. I think we've made God a lot not nicer than what he actually is. God's love was extended towards her. God's love is extended towards you. If you're in this place and even if you haven't made you know, a commitment somehow in your life to following God yet, his love follows you. And he longs for you to enter into a relationship with him. And his grace is already there. When we, can I say, repent... All we're doing is we're becoming aware of what already is. And this is why Paul says in Romans 2 verse 4, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. Hang on a sec, hang on. His kindness leads us to repentance means God's already at work before you repent. Romans 5, 8, a little bit further on. Now this is Paul's theses on the gospel. This is Paul's thesis on salvation and the work of Christ. And 5.8 is, is a brilliant scripture we should all have memorized, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Here's the first thought about grace is that grace doesn't wait for you to get lovable before God loves you. God loves you before you're lovable. What a phenomenal thing 
grace is. I mean, our society doesn't understand it. We convert it to a prayer over meals. I actually hate saying, let's say grace. I just hate the, the, the concept. To me, it's like, let's give thanks for our food. But let's not confuse it with grace. I know that what we're saying is this is a gift from God, our food, in, in a sense. That's why we call it grace. But it somehow diminishes what grace actually means for us on that deeper level. So you might be struggling with shameful things and you might be wondering how on earth do I respond to get free of shameful things. And what I want to tell you about God's love is that his grace is there already. And if you're holding off going, man, there is a massive gap in my life between me and God because of these shameful things, I just want to tell you that grace has already filled the gap. If there's a gap in your life and in your thinking and in your connection with God, then it is solely and purely in your own head. But it's not in God's. It's not in the mind of God. Second thought is that grace truly is amazing. Like the song says, it really is, simply because uh, it's so undeserved. It's just flat out undeserved. Like, there was nothing in this woman that deserved a break. She was caught out. There was, there was nothing virtuous. She, as I said, she wasn't even repenting. She wasn't even offering a broken heart. Psalm 51 says a broken contrite spirit is all God's looking for. Well, she didn't have that. She didn't have that. And it's because it's a gift. It means gift. It means benefit. It means favor. Undeserved. It's like uh, with God, like when you get a birthday present, like who's ever said to someone when you've been given a birthday present, maybe by someone you weren't expecting to give you a gift, or a Christmas present or something, and you've said, uh, you didn't have to do that. Come on, how many of us have said, you didn't have to do that? Of course they didn't. That's what makes it a gift. If they'd had to do it, it wouldn't have been a gift. You know, so we're actually, it's like, thank you, Captain Obvious. We're stating the obvious. You didn't have to do that. I know I didn't have to do that, but I wanted to do that. Wow. Grace is amazing. Because God just wanted to do it. Did he have to send his son? No. He could have just rolled up this little ball in a lump and started again. Could have just withdrawn his word by the word. All things were created by the word. All things exist. He could have just taken his word back and everything disappears back into the unseen that it came from. But he didn't. Because he just wanted, just wanted to restore it. I don't know. That's just, hey, it's a weird thing, love. Isn't it? You've experienced it. It's a weird thing, love. It does things that are contrary to just the natural order of thinking. 
And here God's grace is just a classic example of that. It's so amazing because it is so undeserved. And you might be feeling undeserving. Shame tends to make you feel that way. And you might be feeling that. Uh, but that's okay. That, that just means you get a gift. And really with a gift, there's only one thing you can do if you're going to be gracious and, and that's receive it. It'd be a bit weird to say, no, I didn't ask for it, take it back. People do all the time, of course, with God. We don't normally do that with trinkets from this world. But it's, it's what it seems to be easy to do to God, doesn't it? Just take it back, I don't want it. Grace truly is amazing. I had a scripture for that, but let's keep moving. Grace heals you. Grace heals you. If you can receive grace, it will bring healing into your life. If you, if, again, by grace, I mean if you can receive gift, can I put it that way? If you can receive God's gift of unconditional love, it will heal you. If you can just receive his favour, if you can just receive the benefits he wants to give to you, then it will actually bring healing to you because it humbles you. It humbles you. you know, the Bible teaches that literally the root of, of sin, the root of this falling short is pride. You see it in the garden with Eve, Adam. And you see it all through, right through into your own life. Whenever we say, but we know better. You've said it's like this, but we know better. Our society is doing that in general, isn't it? On every level to the point now, things are getting mighty confusing. Why? Because we know better. And it's just pride. It's just pride. It is the, at the heart of every human condition. Every problem that we face, at the heart of it is human pride. Uh, Benjamin Franklin had a little book his little book of 13 virtues, somewhere in his life he tried to practice them. He wrote down what he thought was virtuous. And uh, I'll, I'll share three of them with you. I can't share 13. Here's what he said. These are the virtues. And he, he set out to become a virtuous person. First one was silence. Speak not except to benefit others. Make no trifling conversation. How's that? Sue said, I'm already lost. <laughs> Industry. Lose no time. Be always employed in something useful. Cut off all unnecessary actions. Industry. Third one was tranquility. Be not disturbed at trifles or at accidents, common or unavoidable. And then he had a column in his little book for defects. And every week he focused on a different virtue and he marked himself down on when he'd actually failed in that virtue. As he made himself, as he made progress, and he found this helped. Focusing on chiseling away at his character helped. But as he made progress and he started to feel better about how he was doing with his life, 
he found himself struggling with yet another defect. And here's his words, quoting Benjamin Franklin. There is perhaps no one of there there is perhaps no one of natural passions so hard to subdue as pride. Disguise it, struggle with it, stifle it, mortify it as much as one pleases, it is still alive and every and will every now and then peep out and show itself. Even if I could conceive that I had completely overcome it, I should probably be proud of my humility. <laughs> so true, isn't it? So true. You know, the Bible says pride comes before a fall. Have you ever sort of felt like, I'm actually traveling along okay right now? I'm doing okay with Jesus. I'm praying a fair bit. I'm reading my Bible. I'm <laughs> and we all know what happens next, isn't it? Three weeks later, you're going, oh my goodness, I have not prayed for weeks. I have not read my Bible. I haven't. <laughs> Pride just gets us every time. But why grace is so amazing? Why God has chosen to not put a price tag on it, to make it a gift, is because it's incredibly humbling knowing that the only way you can be redeemed is to accept a gift that you never asked for. It's humbling knowing that whether you do well or whether you struggle, and can I say this to us as believing people, whether you do well or you struggle, it's all the grace of God. You know, on your best day, we're good at doing it on our worst day. On our worst day, we go, oh, just by the grace of God, I'm getting through. Well, we should actually say that on our best day too. <laughs> Who knows what grace has helped, what calamity grace has helped me avoid. I don't even know what passed by me. I only know the stuff that hits me that I get upset about. But we rarely know the things that, that grace carried us through. So it heals us. And finally, and I love this, God, grace is God's ongoing provision. God's ongoing provision. It doesn't just stop with a moment in time or an altar call or a decision or a... Because at the end of the day, like, uh, it, it can be easy to receive God's grace. You know, if you, it depends on your story. Everyone's journey is different. Mine was a bit of a sort of a from darkness to light kind of story. You know, I struggled with it. I'd been witness to for 10 months. I struggled with the whole God question in in my life and then really I just made a decision I just one day actually I was going under the Bridge Street underpass just around the corner and down the street a little bit with Greg Philipper in his 1967 Dodge Phoenix and said to him I think I need to give my life to the Lord he nearly drove over the gutter nearly wrecked the car I said I'll well, do it right here I said no nah, got to go to church and do it with the priest got to do it right you know that's just where I was at and it can be easy in those moments where it's like, wow, you know, bang, the grace of God just touched me and changed my life. But what happens in the struggles of the everyday? What happens after you've had this massive encounter with God and then you're actually not living that well? I mean, you want to and you're trying to, but you just don't seem to be able to do this thing called following Jesus. Well, for this woman, I think Jesus was projecting and wanting to project into her life. He said, neither do I condemn you. 
And that is the grace in the moment. That is the, the power of God to forgive, which brings change to everything. I now, she now had a future given back. That's what happened. He was giving her, her life, her future, everything back. But then he says, and it's not harsh. I, I, I don't, you know, we've just seen his heart. It's so soft. His heart is soft towards her. He's not about to say something harsh. He says, go and leave your lifestyle of sin or go and sin no more. In other words, grace is the power for God to forgive the unforgivable. Whatever that is in your life. But grace is also the power to do the impossible. Which is our ability to kick the things that would destroy our future. You know, this is often looked at as like, well, you know, and you get the religious people. Well, he said, go and sin no more. So grace isn't just this light thing. As if like Jesus would be ultra offended if she went out and did it again. Hang on, he just forgave her before she even repented. He was actually trying to give her a key to preserving a life. I think he was looking at the crowd and everyone who knew her and the hatred of the religious leaders of the day and saying to her, if you go out and go back to that lifestyle, next time these guys might catch you, I might not be around. So now you've got an opportunity to start again. Don't mess it up. Get free of this thing. Get free of it and live your life free. And and never be trapped like this again. Never risk your life for sin's pleasures again. Or maybe next time you, you won't pull it off. You won't get away with it. So God's provision is for us on our worst day. Not just one day. <laughs> and it's our provision into the future. And Paul put it this way. Paul had this struggle in Romans chapter 7. You know, that the things that I, I know I should do, I don't do. The things that I, I know I shouldn't do, I do. He has this massive wrestle. Um, can we go to the next slide then? Um, and right down at the bottom, he's like, oh, wretched man that I am. Come on, who's ever thought, what a wretch I am <laughs> with this struggle? Not me. No one up the back there, that's for sure, up in the top row. I see that the blanket didn't get touched. This wrestle where it's like, man, I I know that's what I should be doing, but I'm not doing it. Or I know that's not what I should be doing, but I am doing it. And there's this law at work, Paul says, of, of sin, this old thing, the old nature, the old man, and the world that empowers it. It's making it feel like it's impossible. To please God. And he says, who will deliver me? Thanks be to God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's pointing at again is grace. Saying the things I should be doing that I'm not. The things that I'm doing that I shouldn't be. I know they fall short. There's a gap. What am I going to do? I think I need to fill it with Jesus. Grace fills the gap. So here's some questions for you, just just in closing, just to help us apply the message. 
question, where are the gaps? Think about your own life. Well, you know, where are the gaps? Generally, we only have to think for a moment before we can think of a few. Well, can I tell you, whatever you just thought of, grace is already there. Whatever you just thought of, grace is already there. It's not something you have to conjure up. It's not something that you can go and find somewhere. Well, if I get to that meeting or if I... No, it's there already. That's why Jesus said the kingdom is within you. Don't race here and race there like people sometimes do. It's actually within you. Second question, is there an area you just can't fix? A problem you can't perform yourself out of and you just have to trust. Well, there's grace for that. That's what's so amazing about grace. That God's gift, God's goodness can meet you in that place where you feel you can't contribute, you can't change it, you can't fix it. Grace fills the gap. Is there anywhere in your life that you just have to surrender? You can't do anything else. Maybe you're just weary of running, weary of fighting. And about all you've got left in you is trust. I've just got to surrender and trust and actually humble myself and realise that my efforts are not going to change things. Grace can meet you right there. And if you've got an ongoing struggle to stay on the right path, grace can take you into your future. Grace can. I'd reckon that there's a lot of people here today that you're only here for one reason. You didn't give up. You know, I've walked now with Jesus for 30 something years. I've actually been a senior minister for probably 25 of those, I think it is now. And I've seen a lot of people fall away from Jesus. Just get discouraged and walk away. And I would say that about 90% of it could have been changed if they'd just received grace. They didn't feel grace. They didn't sense grace. They didn't understand grace. You know, most people don't walk away from Jesus because they're bad people. They just give up. But grace is there. You can receive grace right now. Grace for the gap. Even when it's like, Lord, I don't know whether I can take another step. Well, that's what you call a gap. Another step needs to be taken and you can't take it. Well, that's what you call a gap. And grace fills the gap so that you can keep walking with Jesus. Why don't we stand together? Are you okay? You're very quiet. But it's okay. I knew it would be a quiet message. It wasn't like... You know, it wasn't a preachy message, was it? I hope it's where we live. I've tried to preach into to where we live. Human experience. More than any other thing, this is what we need to know. Grace. Grace is already there. Grace is amazing. Grace can heal you. If you'll let it humble you, and grace is our ongoing provision. 
just how we walk. It's a gift from God. I can keep going because every day is a gift. God's love is a gift. I don't have to earn it. I want to be pleasing. But sometimes I know I'm not. And the beautiful thing is that doesn't change God's feelings towards me. It might change my feelings toward him. But it doesn't change his feelings toward me. He's faithful even when I am faithless. Thank you, Father. Thank you for every heart, every life. Lord, we're all just people on a journey. And uh, in your house today, we've come to honour you. No matter where we're at, even if we just stumbled across the threshold, Father, we're here to honour you. We're here because you matter in our lives, no matter where we're at. So, Father, we do open our hearts to you at the end of the service, as we did at the beginning, to receive mercy, to receive help in time of need. Come on, if you just need God's grace in your life right now on any level, for any reason, to take another step, to stay in the race, to to receive forgiveness, to receive healing, just reach up to heaven right now. Just reach up to heaven. Thank you, Father. We just receive. We receive your mercy. We receive your grace. We thank you for your goodness is not dependent on our performance, on our religious outlook. It's all because of what Jesus has done. It's all found in Christ. And we thank you, Father, for this tremendous goodness that we experience in you today. Father, I thank you for strengthening people by grace even now, just gifts of strength, that charis gift of strength to take that next step, to just keep on the journey, to keep pushing through, to keep breaking through. I thank you for gifts of forgiveness in Jesus' name, wholeness in Jesus' name, humility in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for new life. I thank you for revitalization. I thank you for gifts of grace, the gift of grace that makes us alive in Christ, whatever we need in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You know, you might be here today and uh, maybe you've never experienced the grace of God the way I've been talking about it. Um, maybe you, it's a hard concept for you to get your mind around because you haven't always exactly experienced grace from others around you. It might even seem hard to believe that, you know, that God would be the most gracious one in the room. Uh, but he is. And uh, if you're on a journey and, and you just want to connect with this God that I'm talking about, His love is towards you. It's already there. But you can acknowledge it. You can become aware of it. Maybe for the first time in your life. And uh, and I want to encourage you, as others have done already, but if you're here and you'd say, Chris, I want to acknowledge God's goodness. Maybe I've never recognized it before. I've never known it was there. I want to receive it. I want to experience it. You know, you wouldn't call yourself a believer as such. This morning, you're like, I, I need to experience God's grace the way you've talked about it, Chris. Why don't you just raise your hand right where you are? Just right where you are. 
right where you are. Just reach out and receive it right where you are. As I've asked others to raise their hand, why don't you just raise your hand up? It's awesome. It's awesome. It's wonderful to see. Wonderful to see. Come on, keep going. If there's others here too, just keep going. Just reach out. Just open your heart in your own way, just in your own way. This is a personal thing. This is between between you and God. All I can tell you is the story, and the story is Jesus is already there. He's already prepared to forgive. And you can just reach out and take a hold of what is yours, of what he has offered you. Come on, it's just a gift. Just a gift. Just receive it right where you are, right there. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. You can put your hands down. and Listen, we're going to pray a prayer. Very simple prayer. It's just about receiving the grace of God. Why don't we all pray it together? Dear Jesus, I believe in you. Thank you for forgiving me. Come into my life and I'll follow you. Amen. I'll follow you by the grace of God. Amen. Cool. You're okay? Now, I know that seemed a bit somber, but it wasn't. Grace is awesome. I think you're just quiet because it's like, wow. Is that true? It's like, wow. What about that first point? That's my favorite point. I think that's one of the best things, best revelations I've ever had out of Scripture for me. I just love that, that she didn't have time to repent. And grace was already there. That, that blows my mind. God is so good, so good. So why don't we enjoy him this week, walk in the grace of God. And uh, if you did make a decision, then Matt's going to come and just have a bit of a chat to you. If you, you reached out for the first time to receive God's grace this morning, Matt's going to let you know what you could do next. Thanks, everyone.